watch cartoons We'll take a look back at where we've been So let's hop into our time machine to another episode of Cartoon Time Machine. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Katie. We're your animates. Uh, Katie is, is currently having a little bit of a giggling fit, um, but that that is all right because today's episode uh, is all about Katie. Uh, after so long of me saying, oh, it's like in that Disney movie, and Katie replying, mm-hmm. You think I've seen a Disney movie? Yeah, so Katie has, like, a lot of gaps in their uh, animation knowledge uh, with Disney films, surprisingly. Uh, Katie has a, has a strong area of expertise in a- great animated works that most people have not seen, and yet they have not actually seen that many of the common movies that people have seen. So to rectify this, uh, welcome to a new uh, segment on our show, uh, which is called Katie Watches Disney, uh, in which I give Katie a movie to watch, uh, from the Disney Pantheon, and uh, we we discuss it, uh, especially since uh, they haven't seen this one before. Uh, today, uh, our inaugural episode is one that, it, it, to be fair to Katie, I think not that many people have seen of our particular age group. It's definitely less of the well-known ones, but it is one that holds a very special place in my heart that I watched a lot as a kid. I had it on VHS, um, and I think more people should watch it because I think it's uh, severely underrated, uh, which is The Great Mouse Detective, uh, is the directorial debut of uh, uh, John Musker and Ron Clements, um, who are two uh, powerhouses in the animation industry, particularly at Disney. You may know them um, as directors of Little Mermaid, uh, Hercules, Aladdin, Moana, uh, Prince and the Frog, others as well, but those those are some of the big ones. Uh, how many of those have you seen, Katie? <laughs> Uh, g- give me the list again. I'll answer after each one. Little Mermaid? Nope. Aladdin? Parts of. Oh boy. You've seen Treasure Planet, though, right? Nope. Wait, I thought we discussed that you'd seen Treasure Planet. Nope. Okay, so the point is... I got Hercules. I have one on that list. Hercules. Okay, Hercules is... Oh, wait, one to- have I seen all of Hercules? I think I've seen all of Hercules. I don't think it's the same Lion King situation where I've only seen the first half of the movie. Unbelievable. Well, we will get to all of those, I'm sure, in good time in other versions of the segment. Um, but until now, uh, for now, uh, let's let's start talking about the Great Mouse Detective. Uh, Katie, what were your general thoughts on this film? Hmm. Um. It's it's decent. I give it that. I'm going to like it more than other Disney films that were going to make me watch. I know that. What makes you say that? Because I don't like princess films traditionally, and I got to get through those at some point. Um, I did enjoy that I just saw... I didn't really... I did no research. I went into the film blind. I wasn't sure where it was located, but I saw a dingy, grimy, smoggy alley and went, ah, we're an eight... We're in 19th century London. Got it. Perfect. When, when I recommended this as the first one we do uh, for this segment, I was thinking that the color palette and aesthetic of this movie would be a little more up your alley. There's like a mm-hmm. little bit of like 
steampunk element to it yeah. too, which I know you enjoy. I liked the aesthetic. The story is simple and sweet. I like that they have uh, the human versions doing things above and they do pans then to the mouse versions. That's a nice little touch. Um, yeah, characters overall. I mean, I've, I think where you lost me is uh, in the expectation maybe that I like Sherlock Holmes. I wasn't really thinking how you feel about Sherlock Holmes either way, honestly. Fair. I think it does play into the play into my feelings of that because it is a Sherlock Holmes story essentially, but done via mice. I think Sherlock Holmes is a bit of a jerk, <laughs> just in general. And I don't and, and come out with with the version we see here, the titular mm -hmm. detective. So I uh, I think I was at a disadvantage for already not loving Sherlock Holmes. Uh, but I do think that's a point of the character, is I'm not supposed to like him. And he does he does turn around. I did appreciate and not appreciate all the creepy dolls. That Jack in the Box gonna haunt my nightmares. Rewatching re it for, for this uh, episode, I, I did realize I had forgotten how much of this movie takes place in a toy shop. Uh, I had only okay. really thought about... Oh, I just remembered something. Yeah. Because if I don't say it now, I'll forget okay. it forever. Um, I did uh, I did have a... <laughs> the wild thing to me was it gives you a content warning for tobacco use. 19th century London. Rampant. They love yeah. their tobacco. Yeah. I like that that was the content warning I got. Not straight up murder that happens like basically on screen. There's a lot of on screen murder in this that we're supposed to think is okay because it's mice or bats. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that was my question mark was, why didn't this get a content warning? Why did the rampant tobacco use get it? You know, it's the same like imitatable thing. You know, children are unlikely to go around uh, swallowing mice uh, like the cat in this movie, uh, but are maybe more likely to think, hey, Basil of Baker Street sure looks cool with that pipe. But what about kids feeding mice to cats? Did you consider that? You're a cat person, wouldn't you be on board with that? I've seen I've seen cats eat chipmunks. It's just a little sad. I mean, it's sad. It's truly sad. It's a little bit the circle of life, which is a reference to a movie you have not seen in its entirety. Hey. Oh, okay. Are <laughs> you gonna say that I haven't seen has big shows on you? I've seen a half. Yeah, and you've seen the half with circle of life in it, as far as I know. So you you, you Does it make it better or even worse, that the reason I only saw half of it was because they were showing it in my biology class in high school during, like, after finals, where you just have time to kill. It's a really weird choice for your biology class to be showing. I mean, in my AP bio class, when we finished the AP test, we watched Agatica, which is, Oh, this like, wasn't AP bio. This was freshman year bio. The Lion King feels like, of all the movies tangentially related to biology... Like, feels like they could just put on planet Earth, and that would have been a slightly more educational. Lion King doesn't really have much to say about how actual biology works. Fair. Continuing on uh, my feelings. Before, before we go further with The Great Mouse Detective, I think we should... Would you like to give just a basic summary of, of the story? Of sure, I watched it. I should be able to do this. Well, I mean, I could do it too, but I figured... Nope, since I'm going to try. Disney, you should do it. All right, go ahead. 
So what I got from watching it last night and what little, uh, what I can remember for the audience. Essentially, when I consume media and it's not D&D related, got it in. Got my one reference to D&D in for the episode. Um, it's just immediately slowly pushed out, so we'll see how quickly this goes. Uh, we are in a 19, nope, 19th century London, 1800s. I keep trying to flip those. Uh, and we're examining the lives of some mouse. Now, uh, so a toy maker gets kidnapped by a bat creature. Um, and his daughter is sad and lonely and goes off to find him, uh, and is found by Dr. Dawson, who is a mouse serving, uh, in Afghanistan. Um, which I feel like for history-wise, I did, I did like having to use my history blame to go, oh, well, why were the British in Afghanistan? I believe this was the first, some of the first stuff in Afghanistan, but there yeah. were a lot. To be fair, that does come directly from the original Conan Doyle novels. Uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Watson, who is, you know, Dr. Dawson in this, does come to see Sherlock Holmes from returning from his service in Afghanistan. Um, so I, I like that that was a weird little element that they decided to keep and makes us think that there was a mouse infantry in Afghanistan, which... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff where I got to relate it to the fact we're in mouse land now. Um, he finds the girl, uh, the girl wants to find ba Basil of Baker Street, who is Sherlock Holmes, but for mice. Um, and basically, uh, it takes them a bit, they convince, uh, Basil to help only by ha him realizing that the kidnapper is the, uh, main henchman for his mortal enemy. And then we go on a long quest to get the, get the bat, get to Radigan, the mortal enemy, and stop his evil plot. Are we going into spoilers? This movie's very no, old. I, no, I think that I think we we will will go into spoilers in a second. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, the movie is, but obviously you haven't seen it, and I think a lot of our listeners haven't either. So if you wish to not be spoiled on this movie, although you know, being a simple Disney movie, like the enjoyment a, is kind of it's from it's coming, a, watching the story unfold. You don't. It doesn't really matter what the little details are. It's an hour and fifteen minutes. It's that. It's was the most pleasurable part. I gotta say, sometimes I'm with my father, who uh, is now like, why are all movies almost three hours long? I'm with him. A sweet hour and 15 minutes? That's the perfect length for a movie. That is great. I've got time to kill after work and dinner, but I'm not ready to go to bed. It's, it's like it's 7 p.m. last night. I was like, it's not humanly acceptable to fall asleep at 7 p.m. apparently. So I should watch a movie to fall asleep at a humanly reasonable time. That is BS. Falling asleep at any hour is reasonable. But for the sake of your next day, you probably want to have it be some, somewhat close to eight hours before you have to wake up. Otherwise, you're going to be screwed up. But anyway, Unless yeah, it's, it's, you're very sleep deprived, in which case I probably could have used the sleep. Yeah, honestly, Katie, I think you probably could sleep at any hour and you'd probably be just fine. Um but yeah, no, this is this is a nice, quick movie. Like you said, it's a sweet detective story, uh, just kind of simple uh, Sherlock Holmes-type adventure. Uh, so if that sounds like it interests you and you don't want to hear all the details, uh, feel free to come back to this episode once you've seen it. It is on Disney+, Plus, um, and a good chunk of it's on YouTube, as I discovered. So, you know, I probably shouldn't be directing you to the illegal source, but go to the illegal source if you don't have Disney+. Plus. Um, anyway. Take down the mouse! 
take down the mouse. Um, but yeah, so let let's go into uh, some spoilers. Uh, again, nothing nothing really huge uh, in in like the spoiler zone. Um, no. but some of it is also just related to the background of uh, how this movie was made. Um, one important uh, context for this we've discussed on our show uh, the dark age of animation of the seventies and eighties. Um, and how that very much affected uh, Walt Disney Company and Disney Animation uh, in particular. Um, a lot of the movies at this time were just not being profitable of the Disney Company, and Michael Eisner, the uh, head of Disney at the time, made it very clear that he was not fond of animation. Uh, so this movie's budget got slashed pretty epically uh, after the previous Disney animated feature, Black Cauldron, bombed horrifically at the box office. Um, I like Black Cauldron. I think it's fine. Um, it's not, it, it's not as good as you would want it to be for the reasons it failed. Yes, Katie? Guess what? What? I haven't seen that Have one either. No? You haven't. Okay. <laughs> if you had seen The Black Cauldron, you know, the, the movie that, that many, you know, say almost killed Disney animation and you hadn't seen Renaissance films. That to be, be fair, weird. knowing me and my feelings towards Disney and Disney animation, would that have actually surprised you that much? It would have frustrated me to be sure, but yeah, maybe. Okay. I'll, I'll um, take frustrated. I would be surprised. I wouldn't have taken surprised. But Black Cauldron was a very ambitious movie. It was really, really dark, um, but it didn't have maybe that spark of magic that some previous Disney movies had. Um, and I think they, they went so deep into the let's make this dark and spooky that in some places I think they forgot to make it fun too um and this was an area that at this time Don Bluth was doing really well at he was making movies like um Land Before Time uh Secret of Nim uh American Tale All Dogs Go to Heaven um that were very dark but still were really fun and entertaining um and did very well at the box office even while Disney star was falling um so, you know, it was, it was just not, Black Aldred was not Disney's finest hour, and Michael Eisner got scared, um, made a lot of changes to Great Mouse Detective, mainly uh, slashing the budget, which you can see in some places. I think there's some cleanup that's, like, not done in this. Um, there's a few continuity errors that I think they might have caught had they had the time and money, um, and there's some lip sync that's definitely not exactly there. You can hear the orchestra isn't quite as fully fledged as some later uh, Renaissance movies would have, you know, more bold orchestral choices. Um, I think it still did really well, despite the fact their budget got unexpectedly slashed. Um, another Michael Eisner choice was to change the name from Basil of Baker Street to The Great Mouse Detective. Um, it's based on a book series um, that, you know, same premise that it's uh, the mouse living underneath uh, 221B Baker Street, uh, underneath Sherlock Holmes's apartment. Um, and you know, very similar, similar type of story. Um, but Michael Eisner decided to rename it the Great Mouse Detective, uh, so it would be uh, clear for everyone. There's a actually a very funny story uh, here on on the Wikipedia uh, about it. I'll pull it up, um, where someone internal to Disney uh, was so frustrated. Uh, with the change of the name that he sent around uh, a memo with giving Disney films generic titles. Uh, and the list of generic titles is Seven Little Men Help a Girl, The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly, The Little Girl Who Grew Up, 
the girl with the see-through shoes, two dogs fall in love, puppies taken away, and a, a boy, a bear, and a big black cat. Um, which I think is just like a very petty memo move, and that's why I read that whole list, because can you imagine sending out that scathing memo after Michael Eisner changes the name of your movie? That's that's pretty funny. That That's pretty good. Good on that one employee. What? Good on that employee. So that guy, see, who, who was it? As you guys should give him credit. Uh, Peter Schneider, who was a studio executive at Disney. A- allegedly, um, it was... Oh, oh no! It, sorry, it was it was Ed Gombert who was an animator, and it was it was supposed to be. Uh, it was written as if it had come from Peter Schneider, the executive. Um, so that's that's pretty funny. Um, that's incredible. That that's a good move. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know it it was it was par- oh also apparently the some of the some of the changing of the name uh, was due to the fact that Sherlock Holmes films had recently underperformed. Uh, so they wanted to, you know, disassociate from that as much as possible, which, like, how could you, like, the ad, like, it's, it's Sherlock Holmes as a mouse. I mean, they were, there's really no way to avoid the fact that it was a Sherlock Holmes story. Um, but luckily, the movie did really well at the box office, um, enough that, you know, even though it's had a tiny budget, uh, made a lot of money back, especially on re-release. It was beaten by the An American Tale, which came out at the same time, um, which, fair, they're two mouse movies going head-to-head. Um, and in my opinion, American Tale is the better movie. Um, they, they, you, have you seen an American Tale? I haven't, but I have more knowledge about it. And I do know it is considered a, widely considered a underrated animated film from the era. Yeah, I mean, it, it, American Tale is kind of a, a classic in its own right. Um, one, it is very similar to The Great Mouse Detective in its tone and style. Um, similarly, it's about a mouse society that exists, you know, sort of underneath the human world above with very similar technology, uh, a similar steampunk element, um, like a certain clockwork uh, devices and things like that. Um, but there's just a lot more sadness and heart to it. Um, in, in this movie, you know, there, there is still definitely heart um, in a little Olivia Flaversham, the, the girl whose father was, was kidnapped. Um, she's she's very sweet. I think she walked the edge of being too annoying. I don't know what did you did you find her annoying, Katie? Uh, she was definitely getting there, but I don't think she crossed over to being an overly annoying. It was more just could the adults uh, pay attention for two seconds? Yeah, I mean she's she's just very precocious, very sweet. She speaks with that like little girl lisp. Like she's she's very cute, probably on the edge of grading. I think she's probably one of the last of her era of like cutesy kid characters cuz after this we would hit the 90s where all the kid characters were like little Bart Simpsons and they'd all be like rude and have attitude and stuff and we're only kind of just getting out of that mode now where we're like letting kids be fun and funny without just being jerks to everyone around them. Um, but yeah, there's like a little bit of datedness with how like, you know, the precious little Olivia. Um, but in, you know, in the same way, you know, American Tale also has, you know, your little Fievel who is also, you know, a precious wide-eyed innocent. But I don't want to say he actually has problems because like Olivia's dad was kidnapped. So like, that's a problem. Um, but little Fievel in American Tale has been separated from his family on the ocean and there's like like there's like nazi cats around and he's an allegory for a jew in america so like things are things are worse a little bit and you feel sad for him and his family um 
But uh, but yeah, uh, it, so Great Mouse Detective did do pretty well. Um, as a result, there was suddenly more interest in uh, animation, and there's like pretty much a direct line linking Great Mouse Detective to the success of the Renaissance movies. Um, Musker and Clements would not have gotten uh, to do Little Mermaid, the first film of the Disney Renaissance, had it not been for this movie. Um, so we do have a lot, a lot to thank the Great Mouse Detective for. Um, Outside of, of its own individual merits, which we can now get into now that some history's been put out of the way. Yes, Katie? Uh, I have to do the research, but I feel like it could also be uh, the first in paving the way for queer-coded Disney villains, which is not a positive thing. I, I, would, I, I hesitate to say it's the first, because i got to think about that a little more, and I feel like... Exactly. I was saying I need to research, but definitely, like, if we're talking this page into the Renaissance... The Renaissance has a ton of queer-coded villains, and it's a oh. problem for Disney. It, it it see it's one of those things. I have a heart like I I know I know logically that it is a very bad thing to have all these villains coded as queer. On the other hand, making them queer-coded always makes them more fun to watch. Like absolutely, it's one of those things where I definitely have mixed feelings, but I kind of wish Disney uh, didn't just make all their queer coded characters villains. Don't worry, now the villains are neither queer coded nor interesting, so you know, progress. And don't worry, worry, we have queers on the screen, they just will die. They're, they're just shunted to the background now, so Disney can say, Look, a gay, and it's like, Yeah, Look. maybe. We can cut this out in countries that wouldn't otherwise take our film. Well, let's let us let us get off of this because right. I do want I do want to praise to the heavens Professor Radigan in this movie who absolutely makes the movie for me. Like the rest of the movie is pretty good. By God, do I love Professor Radigan? I just it's a masterful Disney villain, queer coding or not. Yes, Giddy. Overall, enjoyed it uh, in his performance. Um, was. I don't know the correct word, but there was something off-putting about his thighs and calves. Like, the proportions and animation, like, something just was, like, off. And it was very, like, my eyes went to them, and I was just like, ugh. I can't say I noticed anything off, but I, I do enjoy the the way they animated his movements because he is like a very big bulky top heavy guy with like really skinny little legs and the way that they animate him makes him positively dainty as he moves around but because he has such incredible girth on his upper body he stays intimidating the whole time like even when he's like doing that little like sachet with his cane during his big number like you still he moves mm -hmm. gracefully but you can tell he can snap at any moment. That, and that's his whole thing in the movie. Like, I like that this is a movie that, like, gives the villain, like, a subtle little arc, which is kind of fun. Like, it's not a big moment, but, like, he is a rat existing in mouse society and is trying to hide that he is a rat. Um, but, you know, everyone knows it, but he's mm -hmm. crazy and homicidal. So, and the one guy we see who calls him out on being a rat who is drunk. I love drunkenness in old Disney movies. It's amazing. <laughs> um, he's drunk and during his song, big song number with all the, with the villain and all his minions, calls him a rat and gets fed to his giant pet cat. Um, That's the screen. murder. It's, it's murder on screen. It's done in silhouette, but that doesn't make it any less murder on screen. Oh, um, full murder. God, I, lo I love that number. Uh, th this movie does not have a lot of songs. I think it really only has 
two musical numbers, what we'd consider it, and one mm -hmm. that's just Radigan singing on a tape that we don't really hear or we don't really see him. Um, three? Three. It would be um, Radigan's first number with his henchmen. Yeah. The tape and the bar scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so two real numbers and then the, yeah. the tape. Yeah. Um, bar scene is weird to me. I, I kind of also forgot that, uh, that there is... Like, I remember that there was a bar, but I didn't remember that there was, like, a Blazing Saddle-style uh, tavern musical number with a scantily clad but mouse lady. What a D&D what a moment. Sneaking into the bar, <laughs> poor, very poorly disguised. Um, being unable to do anything correctly, failing all your persuasion and interception checks. Um, getting drugged. And a musical number breaking out. And a bar fight. Of course, Can't tell me that hasn't happened in one of our D&D games. Oh my god, no, everything about that, now that you say it, was definitely very D&D. &D. Everyone's failing all of their checks. I mean, what's kind of funny about that scene is that it needs to be there because that's where uh, Basil and Dawson get kidnapped by Radigan and his men. Um, but it goes on a really long time to get us to that point. Um, it's a it's very long scene. Well movie, but it's a very long scene. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, I, would, I would give praise for pacing. It was pretty well paced. Yeah, like we were saying, it was good, succinct, simple, in and out, nothing, the, right, the bar scene was a little too long, but I think otherwise there's not really anything extraneous. I mean, they, they have to be economical. When you mm -hmm. have your budget slashed and animation already is super expensive, you can't really mess around with that much, which is part of the reason I love animated films in general, is that, you know, it, not all of them are as well paced as this, but you struggle to find an animated movie that really has a thoroughly unnecessary detour because it's not worth the money to animate something that you don't really need for the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but but just to get back to Radigan, because I, I love talking about him and his his big musical number, which is the musical number of the movie. Like it's, I didn't really remember the other two. Like this is the one, this is the one I have on my Disney soundtrack I listen to when I'm at the gym. Like the, the world's greatest criminal brain is just, a delightful villain song. I mean, talk about economical. Like this movie knows the only musical number it really needs is your villain song. Um, and yeah, I, I love that it's just, first of all, Vincent Price does the voice. It was one of his final roles. Um, he died a few years after this movie's release. I love Vincent Price. I love the heck out of him. He just has a wonderful voice and he was so enjoying every moment of recording this. Like you can just tell that this was the greatest thrill for him to be voicing this character. You can hear him smiling. Like, it's so funny to listen to him record. You can just, in your mind's eye, see him in the booth smiling as he's recording this. And does it make the queer coding better that Vincent Price is now well-known to have been gay or at least interested in men? Fair, fair. Got me there. Maybe. Maybe it does. I, don't know, I just really love Vincent Price. Like I have like a an almost Tim Burton level of appreciation for well, because Tim Burton's like whole thing that he's obsessed with Vincent Price. I'm not quite there, but like I love all of his old horror movies. I think he just has a delightfully hammy performance. I love him in Edward Scissorhands. You know, even though he is a very small role in that movie, um, he just he's just having fun. Like he's just one of those actors who knows that filmmaking is supposed to be entertainment first and. He is just as entertained recording it as he wants you to be watching it. Um, and he, he, he doesn't have a beautiful singing voice. It's definitely more in that vein of like a talk sing, um, but it, it works. It's very sinister. 
I like the lyrics. I think the lyrics are very fun. There's like a, he's singing with his minions, and the minions like say, you know, you know, he's he's talking about all the plots that he's planning, and that this is going to be the biggest one of all, and it's so thoroughly evil. And the minions are like, you know, is it even worse than the widows and orphans you drowned? And I'm like, what the heck happened in this guy's backstory? Right. Drowning widows and orphans. I love this man. He's so unapologetically evil. I do yep. like after the murder, he also, like, they're just, all the henchmen are like, ah, and then he's like, no, get going again. Back to the song. Chop, chop. The song. <laughs> it's, it's great. You know, it also reminds me a little bit of, uh, of Tim Curry in Muppet Treasure Island, which I know is a, a weird, like, comparison. Um, have you seen Muppet Treasure Island? No! Yeah. Okay, it's not that. A lot of people saw Muppet Treasure Island. I dare say more people saw Muppet Treasure Island than Great Mouse Detective. Again, um, here's the thing. If it, you, you gotta lower your expectations, bud. Okay, fair, fair, fair. But Tim Curry in that movie has sort of a similar, like, gentlemanly kind of fourth wall breaking mode to him where, like, there's an interruption in the song and he tells the men to go back to singing. Um, and and it's it's very funny when it happens. Because Radigan's whole thing is that he just shifts so rapidly between his, like, true, you know, bestial, rat-like nature to this genteel gentleman mouse that he's trying to... He's playing a harp at one point in this number. Like, it's insane. Like, he murders someone, like, five seconds after he was just playing the harp in the corner. It's really funny. Um, but it's, it's uh, you know, yeah, he does a murder in the middle of the song. And then, you know, he, he's got this little bell that he uses to, to call his pet cat over to eat his henchmen. And he says a hold of the bell and the henchmen are like, oh, yeah, we'll go back to singing all happy. Please don't kill us. Like, this is it's otherwise a fairly lighthearted movie. Like the tone of this movie is very light and very fun. Um, but there is a lot of murder. Like there is there is a lot of uh, a lot of dark stuff. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of. Uh, grew from Despicable Me movies even even kind of in its character design both of them are kind of like the top heavy dudes with the really long skinny legs mm -hmm. um but like in that sort of unabashed evilness um but of course Radigan doesn't have a redemption the same way Gru does um and they both have you know the big dramatic you know I'm telling you about all my past evil schemes and now here's my new evil scheme uh which is to kidnap Mouse Queen Victoria replace her with a robot have the robot declare that Radigan is her new consort and have Radigan change all the laws to benefit him. This is an amazing plot by a Disney villain. It's just, it makes wild. no sense. That it's, it's so wild. It's, but you know, it's that kind of like steampunk fun. Um, and that, that's why we, we discover that Olivia's uh, father was, was kidnapped by Radigan's to make the robot uh, Queen Victoria. Because uh, he's a he's a toy maker himself, and that apparently transfers over to making a hyper realistic, or what we're supposed to see in this world as hyper realistic. Like we we can see that it's obviously a robot, but it's meant to fool the crowd uh, up until the point that Basil reveals it to be a robot. Um, but it's it's a lot it's a lot of fun to see him Radigan come out in all of his splendor and like read his list of proclamations and we he, he has one line that I've ever like I was just rewatching it this week I was like oof this feels uh too too apt 
where he's like, yeah, we're getting rid of all the freeloaders on society. Uh, old people, the infirm, children, all of you have to stop freeloading on the system. We're getting rid of all of you. I'm like, ah, I don't like how how much like modern America that is. Um, oof. It's it's a it's a big it's a big oof it's a big oof. Um, it'll be the thing. They wouldn't, of course. They they all the people in the crowd were horrified by this because they're British and they have uh, they have socialized healthcare, unlike here. So they're they're used to taking care of their elderly, infirm, and children, unlike us. <laughs> oof, oof, big oof. Um, but yeah. Any any what what, what were some of your uh, favorite moments? Least favorite moments. Uh, I have two more notes. I feel like I've said many of my feelings and truth already. Um, I have three thoughts. Uh, the first is I really like, uh, the Bat Henchman. He's just very enjoyable. He's so dumb, but trying his darndest. He's doing his best. I like his little raspy voice when he's just, like, trying to figure stuff out. He's, he's got very low income if we're going back to D&D. I'm gonna have to keep this one in mind. It hurts. Yeah, yeah, I can do it. I I love I just love the dumb henchman who's trying his darndest. <laughs> Who like this this is a, a a some big voice actor. Uh, yeah, so Fidget was uh, Fidget the Bat was played by uh, Candy Candido, um, who was definitely like a radio guy. Oh, you. Hey, this is weird, but you know, you know where you uh, where you might know him from. Uh, I don't. Was, but tell me. He was the evil tree in the Wizard of Oz. Wild. Yeah, I. It's a, a little low, but he. Yeah, he had apparently had a pretty prominent radio career. You can you can like, tell, tell me when it's, Tell me some of the radio stuff. I might yeah. know these. The the oh, so tell you some of the radio stuff. Uh, let's yeah. see. Um. It just says he did radio here. It doesn't really say what specifically. What was his name? Uh, can, uh, Candy Candido. I mean, he, yeah, he, he was like, I think, bigger in like the 30s and 40s. Um, but yeah, it, uh, oh, this was, this, this was his last role. Um, but he said it was his personal favorite role, apparently, uh, being in the Great Mouse Detective. So that's that's nice. I mean, it's it's a fun role. Um, feels a little like maybe a spiritual precursor uh, to Robin Williams's Bat character in uh, Fern Gully. I don't. You haven't seen Fern Gully, have you, Katie? No. Nope. Go out here and say that was another favorite of mine as a kid. Might have you watch that. I really liked it. Said a really big environmental message, and I was big on that as a kid um, before the world wore me down um and now i don't have hope anymore <laughs> um but it's sort of a similar like uh, wacky disabled bat i guess is a trope because there's also one of wait there's also one of those in uh in anastasia now that i think about it i don't know why that's a trope but like the wacky disabled bat is a animated trope at this point um he's great now there, there's a lot of really fun side characters in this i like toby did you like toby the basset hound toby's great this was another one of those weird uh, animated movies where, like, you don't really know the rules for which animals can talk and which ones can't. Like, nope. the dog and the cat can't talk, but the mice can talk. <laughs> no idea. And and they're like animals, like the like uh, Radigan's cat, whose name I forget. I think she had a name. 
um, is like a pet to Radigan. It's not like an equal, it's not like a thug or an enforcer, it's just a cat. Um, and similarly, Toby, Toby the Basset Hound, who is uh, Sherlock Holmes's uh, dog, uh, is basically just a dog, but because of his size is more used as like a means of transportation for our protagonists. Um, but he's very cute and I like him a lot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> next I'll rag on one thing we yes. we do talk a lot about how much we love um 2d animation and cell shaded animation and I still do you can tell this was on a budget I'll admit um one thing I will give up and say that this kind of animation is not great at is water and rain <laughs> It's yeah, pretty mean, bad in this film specifically. It it does when it's raining. It does definitely just distort the image. Like it's just white marks on top of the image. There's no. It it's it, it's a little. I think especially with what we're used to now, a little. It brings you out of it a little bit because you're like, it's not affecting the characters. It's just on top. Um, I'll admit this to animation things. 2D has its downfalls, and it's probably water. Yes, however, just because I have an American Tale on the brain, I do recall that that movie handled its water effects really well. Um, namely because water became a more important part of the story, because Fievel, our main character, is washed out to sea at a point when he gets separated from his parents, so it has to look really big and dramatic. When when animate when they when they need to make the water work well, 2D animation can do it. But yeah, mm -hmm. when when the water in this movie was not a really significant part, um, and when it uh, was definitely they had their budget slashed and they could you know couldn't do that much. Um, although what I was speaking of animation, I do. Oh, sorry, go on. To which I want to add, it's sad because that happens in the best animated portion of the movie. Which, which what what. That clock tower scene and the fight scene is the best portion of the film. It is clearly the section they got to put the most time and money into to animate. It is well lit. It is well animated. It is smooth. They use great aspect ratio changing in how they're designing the shots of the gears. Very tense. I love how Radigan changes and you can like see him becoming more rat-like, mon more monstrous. It's just a very well animated scene. So then it's a little sad when you go out, they go outside and it's sad rain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I didn't want us to, to leave without, without touching a bit on this because uh, this movie is also notable for having the first extended sequence in a Disney movie that used CGI. Um, all the gears in the clock tower are CG. Um, and and that is really good. They integrate I'll, it really well. And I'll admit, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Because I, that's definitely saying you'd have to get the trivia to know that that for sure. I did note the animation style was exceptionally different. Yeah. They, Which I now mean, that they... makes complete sense that that's CG. And it does, I think if you are not a person who gets really particular in looking at animation, you wouldn't realize how different it looks. It just looks really cool. I did go, well, this is different. Yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I then went, this is really well done. I think also they definitely 
it was it is the big action scene. Most of the movie is not heavy action. It's a you know it's a detective story, so it's a lot of people talking. Um, I think in general the animation is pretty smooth. Like Radigan's dancing and his movements, I think are really good. Um, but this was clearly the scene where it's like, all right, all the animation budget, like have these guys move incredibly fluidly, jumping from gear to gear. All the gears are moving constantly, which is again why they utilize CG for that instead of having to animate you know frame by frame. Um, for for what it reminds me of most seeing it, I was really going, knowing that it was the CG sequence, I was sort of going in expecting it to have aged really poorly. Um, and, you know, while you do see a shift in the animation style, I think it, it is actually, you know, very nicely integrated. I think they use the shadows really well to their advantage to have mm -hmm. this fight inside the Um It reminded me actually most of uh, the airship scene in the finale of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, where they were also integrating their, you know, still relatively early CG uh, with uh, their 2D style. Um, and I think that's very favorable to The Great Mouse Detective because this was about 20 years before uh, that sequence in Avatar. So the fact that I think those are comparable scenes, I think really speaks to how well the animators in The Great Mouse Detective knew how to use their technology and how to, how to bring it into the style they were already using. Um, I think especially, you know, given the time, it would have been very easy for them to use it as a gimmick. And apparently they did market it, you know, pretty heavily as, you know, come see this amazing new computer generated imagery in our film, The Great Mouse Detective, um, which is funny because it was only in that one sequence as far as I know. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, there was definitely a risk that they would have gone overboard um, and later Disney movies definitely did at times. Um, but I think they did a really good job. Know, knowing the limits of the of the style and working with it um like they never attempted to use cg on the characters themselves um which i think would have definitely been a pitfall of this scene um it's it's definitely still a more fluid animation but they don't they don't attempt to to do any hijinks with with them uh, with the cg so mu much appreciated mm-hmm any anything yeah. else you'd like to to add? What how how do you feel about uh, future recommendations uh, from me for for Disney movies after this inaugural run? I'll give this on our new scale that I'm making. Um, seven point seven cheeses out of ten. Seven point seven cheeses. Oh boy! You know that's one nice thing about this movie for a movie like starring mice characters there was distinct lack of like bad cheese puns i was kind of expecting more of that and maybe it's because like i still have like rescue rangers on the brain from that movie <laughs> um there, there really weren't that many like just like cheese jokes throughout this which I, yeah. is nice nice change of pace and a really um, pretty dancing doll yeah that was fluid as heck that was a yeah i mean Almost like too much. That was the point of like, I don't believe that's a, I don't believe that's a music box because that's moving way too fluidly. Um, <laughs> but it was still really pretty to watch. It's a pretty movie to watch. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, listeners, I, I think, I think I certainly recommend it. Katie, would you recommend this movie to our listeners if they hadn't seen it? Yeah. If you like mysteries, a quick watch. I mean, well it's not really that much of a mystery. I feel like if you like mysteries, no. they're going into you know who the villain is the yeah. pretty much the second it happens. It's not a mystery. It's decidedly not a mystery. If you like if you like queer coded villains, even if you don't like the history and all the context behind it, this is pretty great. Like I I don't know. I I can't even bring myself to feel guilty for how much I love Radigan. It's just 
it's it's um and he's like clearly got some like weird history with basil too like i feel like it's very easy to interpret this as like they were former lovers and now he's like the bitter ex it's it's kind of funny really they they've got a thing going on um and it doesn't help that of course sherlock holmes is notoriously uninterested in women um and maybe i'm just you know still stuck on 2012 tumblr and the sherlock fandom and just automatically assume that sherlock holmes and his moriarty are gay for each other is this where we stick in our supernatural reference no i i was i was not in the supernatural tumblr days i was i was so you weren't in the crossover between supernatural sherlock and doctor who no, those those were like a special kind of Tumblr nerd. I couldn't go near those okay. guys, Sherlock. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is this is movies a lot of fun. I know it's a little underrated, but I think that uh, people should check it out, especially if you're looking to see, you know, kind of the origins of the Disney Renaissance. Um, you see a lot in this movie of what would eventually become hallmarks uh, of the Renaissance. I think the villain song in particular is something that they realized was very effective here and sort of brought that into every Renaissance movie. Um, no, not everyone. Hercules doesn't really have one, which stinks, but also James Woods can't sing, so I'm not that surprised. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I think that's as good a place to end it as any. Any, any final thoughts, uh, besides your rating, Katie? Not really. I've said my piece. All right, well, uh, I'm looking forward to the next movie I have, I have you watch. Is there, is there a movie that you would like to be the next on, on the, this series for you? No, I feel like this has really become surprise me. All right, well, I we'll will see how to... I rate your childhood favorites. I I will have to I will have to see then because there there's definitely some other ones uh, that I haven't seen in a little while that I would be excited to show you and see what your thoughts are. Um, outside of of course the classics that you must see, like I might just do Aladdin. Honestly, like you you really need to see Aladdin. <laughs> um, I've seen parts of Aladdin. Okay, well we'll we'll get you to watch the whole thing eventually. Um, but until that day comes, we are going to pop back into our cartoon time machine. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Scarlett. I'm Katie. We're your animates, and we will see you next time. <laughs>